0: he just was not having any fun at all and i'm like well this sucks because i'm having fun and you know i like people and i was like (laughs) well shit i I don't i'm not the guy that's supposed to be here so
1: what's up everybody welcome back to another episode here on you think presented by audiorama um well i hope everybody had a happy thanksgiving i hope everybody enjoyed their week with their family and loved ones and friends and Uh, We had a busy one in the Olsen house. It was actually nice. We did not have any sports. We'd had no practices games. We gave everybody off um, from our team. So we brought the entire crew out to Dallas. I was able to, which was a super cool experience. I got to call the Thanksgiving Dallas Cowboys game. They played the giants. um, So on Thanksgiving afternoon, so we got to bring the entire family, uh, my wife, my kids, my parents, both my brothers, their wives. Uh, We all went to Dallas together for the week and um went over to the stadium. Obviously I called the game and then we came back to the hotel. Awesome spread. All the other members of the crew and their families and everybody was in town and we got to watch the night game and just chill. And, you know, it was just cool. I grew up obviously as we all did where NFL football on Thanksgiving was just like, that's what was on. Like, that's what you watched at least in our house. And, to be able to call a game that's been called by some of the best broadcasters of all time. Of course, we spent a lot of time on Thursday honoring and celebrating John Madden, who really voiced pretty much all of our Thanksgiving football experiences. It was really cool to be in the booth with with my team and, and call a Cowboys game. So that was really cool. And then uh, spent the rest of the week in Dallas. And then I flew with my oldest son. It was his turn to take a trip with me. So we went from Dallas to Kansas City, got to call the Chiefs game versus the Rams. Um, Kind of a fun game. The Chiefs are really good. The Rams are struggling a little bit, but nonetheless, it was fun to spend some time in Kansas City. I'd only been there one time prior as a player. So, great place to watch a game. If you haven't been to Kansas City, it's like going to an SEC football game tailgating, barbecue pits, smokers, just a really cool scene. So, got to watch them and then uh, flew home. So, it was a good Thanksgiving in the Olsen house. This week, we are gearing up for the trip we've talked about. We've been leading up to all Fall, our uh, Pop Warner national championship Super Bowl in Florida. Uh, you play at Camping World Stadium. Go to Universal Studios. They shut down the parks for everybody. It's it's going to be a really fun experience. So we go on Friday. Uh, we play our first game on Saturday. We don't know who we're playing, so that's a little nerve wracking. Is you know it's hard to, pra- you know we're practicing this week and you don't know who you're playing. So you're just trying to make sure you're organized and have a plan and. Just have to figure it out once you, once you see the opposing team when the game starts. So that's a little weird, a little different from what we've done all year. But um, nonetheless, awesome experience for the kids. Um, they have like welcome parties. You know, there'll be teams from all over the country and all the different from 10 years old all the way up to 14 years old. Um, every age group, there's eight regional champions. So there's eight teams in each age group that come down in that division. And um, we'll see how we do. The fact that we're there is nothing short of a miracle. And uh, we're going to go give it our best shot. So we'll have an update for you guys next week. Hopefully we're still playing and uh, we'll let you guys know how it goes. But uh, we have a really cool guest in store for today. Uh, We have Kevin Harvick. Kevin competes full-time in the NASCAR cup series, drives the number four Ford Mustang for Stuart Haas racing. Um, Daytona 500 winner back in 2007 has a young son who's way to hear this story about his young son. He's 10, his kind of growing up in the ranks of being a a driver himself. And, you know, he's overseas and training in different circuits. Really fascinating to listen to Kevin's unique insight about not only his upbringing as a kid in the world of racing, but now also now as a father. So really cool conversation, really cool guy lives here in Charlotte and uh, does a lot here in the community as well. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation on you think with Daytona 500 winner, Kevin Harvick. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us on you think
0: no problem. Thanks for having me. There's um, there's not many more things that I like talking about than than new sports, because it's uh, like you say, it is very fascinating and and I am, I am knee deep in the middle of it currently. All right. start there with what does your
1: youth before we go into your experience as a, as a kid raising through the ranks you know in your experience so what do you mean what what are you doing what does a life what does the Kevin Harvick youth sports experience look like right now
0: yeah well i have a i have a 10 year old um uh, my son keelan and and you know he's been really i guess it started when covid started because we didn't have anything to do so we went we went and started racing and that has evolved into trying to um you know put him in the best spot to uh, succeed in racing and and also get the same same learning that he needs. So he's he's progressed pretty well over the last couple of years. Um and he's currently on his own in in Europe um racing karts over there trying to uh make him comfortable being uncomfortable. That's that's really my my wife and I's goal and, and and grow up just a little bit. I know he's only 10 and I'm sure a lot of people will be like what are you doing? But it's um you know I would consider that the the highest level of of cart racing, and I think it's probably one of the best experiences that we've put him through so far. Because um, you know, I think one of the one of the hard things to manage, uh, you know, growing up is how hard do I push him, and how hard do um, do I let him struggle, and, and finding those places to struggle because so many of these kids, uh, whether we see it through the management company or my own kids or you know other kids, whatever it is, hardest thing to manage is. How do we get these kids to understand how to lose because we have all the resources we have all the things that they need to help make them successful while they're young, but how do we put them in real life situations because you know when you become a professional or you get to college or uh, at a higher level you're going to lose a, a fair amount and, and you need to understand how to, how to deal with that and make yourself better so um so yeah it's been it's been a lot of fun and, and uh, hopefully hopefully we can keep that going
1: why europe like so i I know a lot of the guys I had Kyle Bush on a few months ago on one of our episodes on you think, and obviously his son and what he's doing. But I think a lot of their races were both locally here in Charlotte and, and just within the United States. Why, what is the youth scene over in Europe? Tell us a little more about that.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I think everybody, every kid in Europe wants to be a soccer player or they want to be an F1 driver. So when you, when you go to Keelan's in this, this funny, his birthday is in the middle of the year. So it's in July. So you have this decision to make, do I leave him? Up a division while he's older or down a division while he's older, or do I leave him up a division while he's younger? And I'm sure, you know, obviously you, you have kids and, and you so you understand that that's uh the age game. And you know, it's for us it's it's really trying to develop him and and so you know, he progressed a little bit faster than than we thought this year. And and um I wanted to reach out and and show him, hey buddy, there's a little there's a little more to this world if you wanna, you know, bite off a little bit more and and uh, get your face drug through the mud a little bit, uh, at a, at a different level. We can, we can always go find that. I don't think he quite believed that. And, you know, sending him to Europe, you know, I think our biggest race here, we probably had 45 or 50 carts in his class every week. There's a, over a hundred or right at a hundred, um, you know, in his class. And it's just, um, it's just a, it's a different, it's a, it's a very professional, different approach. Not that there's anything wrong with the, with the cart racing here, but it's just a, it's a different level because those kids are trying to achieve a different thing. And, and, you know, for us, we're trying to achieve, how do we make him comfortable being uncomfortable? And he doesn't know the language. He doesn't know anybody there that they're all, you know, the the mechanics speak Italian for the most part.
1: Is Um, he in Italy?
0: going to different countries. Yeah. He's in Italy right now. Uh, They were in, let's see, they were in Lamar three weeks ago. So he was the only American over at the, at, at that particular race. So wow. I just, you know, the, the more, the more, the more times that we can put him in situations being comfortable, being uncomfortable and big events, the, the more comfortable he's going to be as he gets older, because as you know, you know, if you, if you take it to the top level, you better be ready for it because you're going to be in some, some pretty uh, intense high pressure situations. And hopefully you've seen them before. Yeah. who Like, who's he living with? I mean, obviously you guys are here, like, who
1: is he over there with?
0: Yeah, so I'll I'll go. I'll go Monday. Our season ends in Sunday, so I'll I'll go Monday. But uh, with a lady in the office that that has worked for us for twenty plus years that that has taken him, and and then the the driver coach that that we use here, because I've found it to be a little more effective if if I'm not the everyday coach. So coaching through the coach for me has been much more effective um, for our personal relationship and being able to um, let him still have fun and have somebody that can you know, enforce the things that you want to enforce with making him a good person and doing the things that you want him to do. But he just, you know, kids, every, they're like everybody else and, and our, our your kids and my kids probably don't, they, I know mine doesn't want to hear from me all the time. Um, so, you know, we've just chosen the path to do it through the coach.
1: Well, I, I can relate to that because my, my kids don't think I know anything and then we'll take them <laughs> to somebody else and they'll come home from a, a batting lesson or a practice, whatever, and be like, Hey dad, coach, so-and-so told me, I said, yeah no shit. I told you that two months ago. Well, I said, well, hopefully at least you listen to him because you know he sure as hell don't listen to me, but I I just find that. So that, so like, how much longer will he be over there? You mentioned he's the only,
0: you said he's the only American over there. Um, not there's probably, there's probably three or four there, you know, in this particular, in this particular, this particular race. So, um, he'll probably go I don't know. He'll probably race twenty-two to twenty-five races over over there throughout next year. Uh, I'll go with him in, in December and January to to run the events there. And so we've just kind of been dipping our toe in this year, just to get him prepared to see if it was even possible. And and we went through a little phase of of homesick, but the change in his personality has been pretty drastic, um, just because of the fact that he has a little bit of independence away from his parents. I won't blame it all on mom, but away from his parents and and has actually asked us to come watch. So uh, that, that's, um, that to me is, is a win just because of the fact that, you know, we've got to manage school. He's done a good job in, in managing school. He, you know, we homeschool him um, and then he does school over there online. So, you know, trying to figure all this out and manage this along the way has, has been a little bit of a, of an undertaking, but, you know, I think we've got to, a pretty good system down now. I just you know I for for me I'm I'm really excited about the fact that he's learning that there's a much bigger bubble than the bubble that he's no seen his dad and and his family live in for, you know, his whole life and and you know, being able to get on an airplane and go do that yourself is, uh, is, is definitely something that, that I think it will be good for him in the long run.
1: No doubt. Well, we're going to talk more about the the current race scene for the kids. We'll, we'll get back to that, but I just want to back up a little bit. I want you to take us back. You grew up Bakersfield, California, West coast, everyone. I know traditionally the traditional, I mean, we all live here in Charlotte, right? The birth of NASCAR and the home of NASCAR. And, and there's dirt tracks, every highway, everywhere you drive around North Carolina, South Carolina, there's tracks, there's and there's races going on. Just give us a sense of what your experience you just tip, You just kind of gave us a little taste of what your, of what your 10 year old son's going through today, but take us back to California, the race scene, your first introduction to it. Like what did that life look like for you as a young driver, as just a young kid kind of getting your feet wet and on that scene?
0: Yeah. So for, for me, you know, a lot of people would think, well, he grew up in California, you know, there's, there's no racing out there and nobody likes cars. Uh, that's not true. If you took Bakersfield, California, and you put it right in the middle of Charlotte, Mooresville, uh, North Carolina, in, in that area, everybody would fit right in. Um, just because of the fact that it's a, it's a, it's a racing town. You can race, you can race at, uh, the asphalt oval that there's two dirt ovals, there's go-kart tracks, motorcycle tracks, RC tracks, you can race anything. So, I I grew up um, you know, my dad was a fireman, mom was a secretary at the at the local elementary school and for kindergarten graduation, my dad got me a go-kart. Um, I had been with my dad to the race shops he worked uh, on his on his days off, he would work on uh different race cars um, you know, throughout the town of guys that would that would come in and race. And, and so I spent a lot of time ar- around the race cars and wound up with um, you know, go-kart uh, for, for kindergarten graduation. And that started in a dirt field and first day wound up under, underneath a barbed wire fence. And, and I guess I liked it enough that, that, uh, we came back or my dad didn't want me to, uh, lay down and, and, uh, you know, give up. So we, we went back again to the actual go-kart track. And really from, from there, uh, I started, I started racing. Uh, so I think I was eight for two years. Uh, because you had to be eight at the time. So I think I started at six, (laughs) but uh, uh, I I was, I was actually eight for a couple of years, but um, so I started at the, at the local go-kart track and and we would race as, as we could afford. Uh, Once we got done um, with the club racing level, then it became a little bit more difficult because dad had to go to work. And so I would travel with my grandpa or my dad when he was off work and, and we started racing up and down the West coast when we could afford to. And I did that until I was probably. Uh, I guess I I had to do that until I was 16 because you couldn't race cars until you were 16, and then when I turned 16, I went straight to late model stock cars at my local short track, uh, in in Bakersfield, California uh, a track that is no longer there called Mesa Marin, and from there I I really just was fortunate to win races and be in the right spot at the right time and and wound up having a lot of people in town that would help me with my late model and and we built a truck and um, you know, ran the first, uh, my, my first race at, in the truck series in 1995, uh, at Mason Marin, which is, you know, where the, where the truck series started. So really for, for me, I went from, um, go-karts to late model stocks, to the regional touring division. And really about, about, I guess, 1995 was really when the, the end of the, that was all done through the, through the family, uh, racing and, and we, we did everything ourself. and And from that point, I kind of stepped outside the box when, when I realized that we couldn't afford to go do what, what I wanted to do. So I went to school for six weeks at the local junior college, Bakersfield, uh, Bakersfield Junior College. And I came home and I told my mom, I said, this, this really isn't what I want to do. And she's like, well, that, that school will be there. Why don't you go figure out if you can do what you think you want to do? So I actually went to work as a mechanic. Uh, for for Wayne and Connie Spears, who were the really the the owners of the only West Coast uh, truck team that that ran nationally, and I went to work down there as a mechanic. Uh, I guess I was nineteen, and um, they paid me twenty five thousand dollars a year and gave me a credit card to to travel with. And I went to work there and hoped that I got the opportunity to drive. And and by the end of the year, I had convinced Wayne to. Um, I guess it was the middle of the year. I had convinced him. I guess this would have been nineteen. 97 um I convinced him to let me drive the a West Series regional touring car that that he had and we did pretty good and then he put me in a truck race in in the summer a second truck and we beat the other truck and the next week I was the the full-time driver of that truck in 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 um in 97 and and in 98 I uh, I ran it full-time and in 99 I went to drive for actually Brad Doherty, uh owned half of the truck team yeah. uh, that that I that I went to drive for and then I bought my first house in, in 1999, uh, met my wife, uh, soon to be wife, uh, Delana, at the end of 99, and then decided that I was going to go uh, drive for uh, Richard Childress in, in 2000. I just bought my first house. I had to uh, get a second loan out on my house to buy myself out of my first contract that I got myself into for my truck ride. So I put a second, lo- second loan against uh, my mortgage, uh, took out a second loan against my mortgage and lived off my wife's credit cards for uh, for three months, and and went to RCR and and started driving um, in the Bush Series, and then everything happened with uh, you know Earnhardt in, in 2001, and and I took over uh, you know for him uh, the second race of the season in 2001. So I really went through all the steps of of the, yeah. of the ladder system of NASCAR.
1: It's it's just really fascinating. The part I want to just hear a little more about is I've always found it so fascinating. So when I used to drive to training camp. I used to drive down 85 towards Spartanburg, you know, and before you get through Greenville and all that, where the big orange, the big uh, peaches and all. That, there was always this dirt track on the side of the highway. And if we would drive down, if it was a Friday night and you were driving either to or home from, from Spartanburg, it was slammed with people. And like, I always wanted to one day just like pull in and just watch it. But the part I love is at those local tracks, it's parents, it's grandparents, it's uncles, it's guys down the street you guys are like serving as your own pit crew, your own mechanics. You're doing your own work. Like I want to hear more about that. Like I want to hear about going with your dad or going with your grandpa and you're fixing your own cars and you're doing your own work and you're pushing your trailer in your own car. Like to me, that grassroots nature of this sport that now we all see the, you know, fancy cars and the trucks and all the sponsors, like at its core, that's really what racing was. Right.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, look, the, the grassroots level of it is 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 very different than it was then, but it's very much the same. It's just way more sophisticated, um, you know, than, than what it used to be. So look, you know, when I was I guess I remember when I was twelve, thirteen years old, we had a we had a box van and a house trailer that we would go to the go-kart trailer and, and my dad would be asleep in the in the passenger seat and I would drive home. I'd drive home from Riverside and Los Angeles and I just get up in the box van and he'd say, Hey, if you get pulled over, just wake me up. And I'd drive home, you know, three, three and a half hours. And uh, I'd pull the box van in, into the, into the house and, and we'd get out and that was it. So that was just part of what we did. So, you know, it was, you know, my grandpa at times would, would take me around and we I'll never forget. we We drove to Kansas one time and my grandpa would never go over the speed limit. So it was 55 miles an hour. We stopped at every rest area and every Denny's what I thought we were going to the rest area for was to go to the bathroom. But little did I know until I figured this all out that he was going to have a cigarette smoke, um, at all these places. So, uh, but you know, we, 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 traveled around and, and, you know, we lived in campgrounds and uh, we built all of our own stuff. We built all of our own cars and we drove them all the racetrack and, um, you know, even, even all the way up until, until the time that I left. And, and even, even when I worked for, for Wayne and Connie, um, when we ran the, when we ran the West car, we had a 1977 Winnebago that had a, you know, a 30 a foot trailer that we would haul behind it and all the crew guys would pile in there. And we had the time of our life and, you know, the, the camaraderie and, and the relationships and, and things that, that you had during that time are, are still relationships that, that I have today. So, you know, it's um you know, it's working on the cars and being in the shop and, you know, that was one thing that I had mentioned earlier about Keelan, um, and how we started racing was COVID because you have this community of people that all have the same, um, interest and lifestyle and, and we all come from different places. But when you get to that racetrack, uh, it's just, uh, it's a, it's a great culture to, to raise your family in. And, and I think, um, uh, there's a, there's a lot of life skills that were, that are, especially for me learned along the way, whether it's driving that van home or, uh, having to work on your, on your own vehicle and, and figure out how to ask people for sponsorship or whatever the case was. I think I had a checkbook when I was in the fourth grade and and my dad made me handle all the, all the finances of, of everything that we spent. So you understood how much it costs. So, you know, I think, um, you know, the, the common sense and, and simple things that were learned along the way are, are still very much. So with, with the way that grassroots racing works today, it's just very much, very, very, uh, there's, there's a lot more, um, science and engineering that goes into it at, at, you know, so it's made it more expensive, but everything's more expensive.
1: Well, that's what I was going to ask. I, I was going to say like, at what stage, you, you know, you gave a really good description of that entire kind of journey from, from a young, you know, six, seven year old kid all the way to your time on, on this cup series what, when does money really become a factor? Like at what stage in this progression do you have to say, okay, we can't do this all ourselves anymore. We got to get some sponsors. We got to get some, whether they're local sponsors, regional sponsors, like what, at what stage in that, in that process, do you really have to say, okay, if we're going to do this, we we need some people to help us out financially.
0: You know, for, for me, I was, I was fortunate that, you know, I had a dad that, that um he could pretty much make anything. So when, when we raced, when we raced carts, my dad would, would make cart stands and side pods and fairings and, um, anything that the, that the go-kart team would need. And we would, we would trade that for what it would cost us to, to, to race. And as, as we got close to racing a car, he actually built the whole chassis, uh, a year and a half, uh, b- before we actually, I was old enough to, to race a car. So, you know, I think, um, we, we did a lot of horse training and, you know, I was fortunate to be in that position. And I think for me, when, when the, when the money thing really kicked in was probably my first year of late model racing, which I guess that would have been 1993. And, you know, I went out and, and ran my first race and backed it into the wall. And then, um, I think I wrecked six out of the seven races. And the only reason that we didn't race more was because of the fact that we couldn't afford to put the car back together. So the next year I, I broke one fender and we won the championship, ran all the races. And, and I think we won, you know, five, six, seven races in, in, in the 13 or 14 race season. And, and I realized really quickly that we didn't have the money to go out and tear the car up every week, because if we tore the car up every week, I didn't get to race as much. So, um, and, and then when, when I didn't tear the car up and we won races, we were able to get more people to help us and more people to uh, sponsor us and, and, you know, make things easier as, as we went along. And then after we got done with the first car, I actually went on my senior trip in 1994. I came home and my car was gone. I I asked my dad, I'm like, where did the car go? He's like, well, you won the first four races. So there's no reason to race this car anymore. So I sold it. We're going to go move up to the next division. I said, Oh, okay. So we we, we built the next, yeah, we built the next division. And my dad soon figured out that the next, the next division was much more expensive. So um, at a race one day and this guy, uh, private equity guy, investor guy comes up and said, Hey, I want to, I want to help you through your career. I'm like, Oh, okay. So he invested in buying cars and trucks and trailers. And, and we managed all that out of our family shop. And soon he realized uh, over the next year and a half that it was way more expensive too, because he paid to build the, the first truck, uh, th- that we ran as well. Well, by the end of, 96, all, all the money was gone. And that's, that's when I took the the next step to, to go get a job and, you know, try to do it professionally with, with real sponsorship, Wayne and Connie Spears, they own uh, Spears manufacturing, which makes all the PPC uh, pipe fittings, um, you know, throughout the world. So, um, but yeah, I guess right in those two, two and a half years is really when I realized that, you know, in order to do this, right, you, you've got to have real funding. Otherwise it's going to be a hobby for your whole life.
1: That's interesting. So, so bring us back to now current day right you have a son who's going through it at a young age similar like is the finance you mentioned sometimes with the technology and the engineering is there still i'm assuming there's even a greater financial burden to race at the young level today even than there was when you were coming up
0: oh for sure and the unfortunate part about all that is you can't you can't forget all the things that you've learned. Right. So then now there's just this in my mind, this is, this is how you race, you know, how you race on Sunday. This is the expectation that you have for the preparation and what the cars look like, the carts look like, whatever it is, you got to have the right people. And so you just have this, you have this vision in your head of, you know, this is, this is just how I race. And, and, um, I, I have learned again that it, that it's much more expensive than than I remember it being because of the fact that now I'm having to, to pay for it and, and so you know I think racing is racing even at the kids' level today is is a lot like other sports, right so you got to have the right coach, you got to have the right competition and in order to expose them to the things that they need to be exposed to 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 uh, compete at the, at the high level and and you know what that looks like and you think that you can i guess for me i guess figuring out how this puzzle works and how you can push you know the the young kid as hard as you can push him and still have fun and and still have a relationship with him is is difficult but the finances of it are 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 you know it's it's expensive and you know i just there's really no way around that racing is just expensive and and you know we um we're we're fortunate to be in the position that we're in to to be able to go do it right and how i want to do it and you know that's that's the way we ran our race teams when we when we had our <clears throat> our race teams in uh, you know 2010, 11, 12. So that's just how we do it. But it's it's really like every other sport. It's um, you got to have the the right people around it to make it go.
1: Yeah, and and that brings up my next point: is the experience. You know, I know your son's overseas right now, but just say that with the experience to to raising a son who wants to get our daughter, who wants to get in to the race scene here in North Carolina, South Carolina, Bakersfield, California, Vegas, Like now in today's world, like would those experiences be similar, like if I if I heard another father out on the West Coast today describing his son, his 10 year old son's like, is there a regional component to all of this or is everyone pretty much? playing the same game by the same rules.
0: Yeah. So, you know, there, there is, um, there's a number of different ways to do it. You know, it's, it's, it's exactly the same way that, that I came up, you know, it, it, it's obviously going to cost more than, than what it did then, but you can, you can do it the exact same way that, that I did it when, when I came up. Um, but you know, it's, it's like, like I said earlier, I mean, you know how to do it, you know, the path to get there now, and you know, the people to do it you know, the right race teams to call, you know, the right go-kart teams to call, and you just, you go straight to it. And And I tell p- other parents that all the time, you have to be able to do what you can do within your means to not destroy your family. Because I've seen this happen time and time again, where people spend everything that they have thinking that they're doing the right thing and they have, they don't do it properly. And then they destroy their whole life because of the fact that, you know, they, they think that they're going to, their next kid is going to be Gail Earnhardt Jr. And that's just, that's just not the case for everybody. And, and, you know, I think as, as you look at it, I always tell people, try to be successful at the division that you can afford. And when you can do that, try to figure out how to go to the next division, because you can race it. Every local short track across the country has a, you know, Friday, Saturday night races. If you're good there, there's some sort of regional touring division that you can run and. Whether it's on dirt or asphalt, all over the country. So there is um, local, regional, national, international. It's 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 literally um, you know wh- whatever you choose. There's just a there's a price tag that that comes with it all. And and you know in the end, you can still get there by having success. It's just a matter of being around the right people and being in the right places. And you know if you can't afford to go do them all go, go, go do the ones you can afford to do. Right. And that's more important than just showing up at every one of them.
1: So, so again, obviously you have the experience you've lived this your whole life. We see so many legacy drivers, right? Of course with Dale, um, you know, so many guys who grew up in the sport where there's an inherent, forget the financial abilities, just an inherent knowledge that comes with navigating these circuits and whatnot. So what do the parents of kids who want to get into racing and whatnot, but they haven't lived their whole life. They weren't cup drivers. They don't maybe know the scene. Like how do they figure it out?
0: Yeah. So we, we have, we have one, um, one young man, uh, by the name of Connor Zilich. Uh, his dad was a, his dad's a banker. Uh, you know, they had some, some fun in, in some Mazdas and, yeah. Uh, but we, we've been, we've been helping him from, from the management side of things. And, and I think for, for him, you know, it's, it's been trying to put him around the right people to be able to, uh, see his son be successful. And, and, you know, I think doing your homework as far as who you can trust, who the right people are to, to be around there. There's so many crooks and whether it's baseball, basketball, football, no doubt. Coaches, racing, it's all the same. Coaches. It's all the same. Yeah. And, and you, you have to find the right people. And finding people that you can trust and not going down that path. And that's, that's really what I've tried to coach them on. Let's not go down the path where we sign a contract that we shouldn't sign, or we get a deal that we shouldn't have, or we get a coach that we shouldn't have. And we waste, you know, two years, three years, whatever the case is. And you get, you just got to do your homework and being able to put yourself in a position to where you're around people that you can trust that are going to do right for your kid uh, to be able to teach them the skills that they need to have, and that's that's really the hardest part for anybody to navigate is uh, that is outside the racing world is to find somebody that you can trust that's not just going to take all your money because that's that's really what what a lot of these people do they'll they'll sweet talk you into you know thinking that they know more than they know and the next thing you know you're just another number. Uh, making making their mortgage and and your your kid hasn't learned anything and you're just having a bad experience and the next thing you know you're just done with racing because you know nothing nothing went right and you spent all your money yeah I, but again you
1: you mentioned it it's really the same story it, it looks different it feels different the setup different but that's going on right now across the country in every youth sport whether it's travel soccer baseball but everything has a financial component everything costs money you want your kid to go to a baseball showcase. Sure. You got to pay $600. So That's some right. of these parents, so there's that, that financial thread is kind of woven through this entire landscape. And a lot of the conversations we have here are, you know, trying to find ways to help educate our fans and listeners and whatnot to like, don't fall victim to everything you just described. Cause it's happening across the entire country. I want to come back to, to your son Keelan and, and his experience. And you mentioned it earlier. Like, how do you ensure that he's living and he's pursuing his dream. Like this is something, like do you guys have conversations with him? Is this something you constantly check in and say, hey, are you sure you want to do this? Because I know I go through that a little bit with my kids. I have two 10-year-olds, they're twins, boy and girl, and then an 11-year-old son, and they they play sports and whatnot. And I think they want to do it. And when we do it, we do it full throttle. But I also don't ever want them to feel like they have to do things because that's what I did. So like, yeah. how do you, do you, like, what does that look like for you and your son?
0: Yeah. So it's pretty funny because when we started racing uh, the first thing he told me was dad, I don't want my last name on the go-kart and I do not want to be number four. And I was like, okay. what? Why you're not?
1: Pit, you're at first, you're like
0: pissed off, right? You're like, oh, what, man, what do you it mean? It what do you mean? Me off so bad. And, and the more I thought about it, I'm like, well, he doesn't he doesn't want to be here because of his name or a number. He wants to just be his own kid. So, you know, in the beginning, um, man, I was, I was tough uh, on him and I was pushy, 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 pushy. You know, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. And it was, he was just, he just was not having any fun at all. And I'm like, well, this sucks because I'm having fun. And you know, I like, like, well, shit, I, I don't, I'm not the guy that's supposed to be here. So, I think in the beginning, it was more about trying to figure out, you know, what, how I was going to navigate it than it was his, than he was because of the fact that when practice was over, it was throwing a football or riding a bike and, and having fun with the other kids. And he'd come back at dark and sleep in a motorhome and get up the next day and we'd drive again. So we do have those conversations all the time because, you know, especially before we started the, the Europe stuff, I'm like, look, you know, this is going to be this is going to be a major undertaking for our family because we're going to have to change the way that we do school. We're going to have to change the way that we live. You're going to have to live with other people for, you know, weeks at a time. Like this is going to be something that is going to take some time to put together. And, you know, it's going to be, uh, um, something that that's going to be expensive. So, you know, we, we talked about it and and that's what he wanted to do. And he went through the first couple and and then the third one, he was like, yeah, I don't know what I want to do this anymore. I said, "Well, buddy, it's too late. You're
2: going. <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> you committed maybe- to
0: this, and you can you can you can go until and finish what we've what we've committed to, and do the things that you've committed to. And honestly, that was the best thing that we did was make him go. And I I really to this day believe that he didn't want to go because he was getting his face stroked through the mud, and it was the first time that he's ever been somewhere." And lost and lost and lost and lost and missed a race. And, um, you know, and he's never experienced anything like that. And, and I, and, you know, my wife and I talked about it. I think a lot of that came from the fact that it was hard. And that's what I was, you know, getting at earlier. I think, you know, a lot of the things that I've learned throughout his process is, man, a lot of these kids that come through youth sports don't lose much because they have the proper coaching and the proper things that, that they need. And, and I, he, he needed to lose and he needed to lose more and he needs to continuously lose more in order to learn more. So, um, that, that really was the moment, that key moment that I, that I knew he wanted to keep going back because we have never had that conversation again. He ran good the next week and we've, he's never mentioned not going again. Um, so That's I, I do, I do periodically check in. Yeah, uh, But that was one moment that we had to really put our foot down and say, you're going to at least finish. Yeah, uh, Even if you don't run another race, you're going to finish what you started here. And that, and that to me is the lesson, right? You don't have to do it again.
1: But if you start the season, you are going to roll through it. And at the end of the season, if you don't want to re-sign up for next season, next year, you want to go back out no for the team, fine. But you're yeah. not going to bail on your teammates. You're not going to bail on your commitment to your, to a lot of people who have sacrificed for you to be in the spot. So kudos to you guys. Cause that, I give you a lot of credit for that because I think those are such valuable lessons for kids. And today's day and age, people are very con they're very careful. They don't want to tell their kids what to do. And they, I, and I get oh, it. But
0: I get man, it. Not me. I get it. Not me. Not I, me either. People, people look at me and they're like, you, you're really going to do that. I'm like, yeah, he needs to be accountable for his actions and he needs to be accountable for his performance and he Absolutely. needs to be accountable. He we, needs need yeah, we need and, more of that. Yeah. We need more of that. If, they, if they're not doing a good job, you need to tell them they're doing a bad job. Otherwise, they get this false security that being average is okay. We're not you need to, to be come.
1: Average. You need to come speak at all my teams that I coach in town because I, I have a saying with them. I say, if everything's okay, nothing's okay. Yeah. Right. This whole thing. Hey, it's okay. It's okay. No, it's not okay. Yeah. It's not right. okay. You did it t- completely my, wrong. You didn't do what you were favorite, coached.
0: My favorite thing is uh, he'll, he'll um, yesterday he got me pretty good. I, I talked to him yesterday. And I asked him, I said, well, how'd it go? He said, good. I said, why not great? I said, you want to be good or you want to be great? He's like, dad, it went fantastic. He's like, I got you good. Send, sent me a text. And, and that's, that's been kind of my saying with him. You want to be good or you want to be great? Because if you want to be good, just keep doing what you're doing. If you want to be great, there's going to be some pretty crappy times that you got to go through and some things that really aren't that much fun but that's, that's
1: so true. That's the way goes. So what's the, what's the long-term vision? Like where, where does this lead? What's, if you had a magic wand, this leads him to what series, where uh-huh. is he? Is he back in the States? Is he stay overseas? Like what is the, in the perfect world, this
0: path leads where? Yeah. Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, if you're going to go, if you're going to go down an F1 path, you have to do some of this European racing. Uh, really, really about the time, I, I guess, you know, he's going to do, he's going to do the Europe stuff and he's going to run the oval legend car stuff in the United States here and do the Europe stuff in the cart next year, uh, do the legend car here on the ovals. And, you know, I think really for the next, he'll move up to the bigger carts, uh, I guess that would be 2024 and still do his legend car. And he'll do all that in the U S in in 2024, really when I guess that would be, let's see, he's 10, 11, next year, 11, 12. So the, the 12, 13 year is when it starts uh, a little bit dipping your toe in the water with big cars, whether it be late model stock cars, uh, dirt modifieds, whatever, whatever that, that path is F4, um, as far as the testing goes, but when they when he turns 14, so that would be like 2026. That's really when you got to start deciding what that path is, whether it's you know stock cars or open wheel cars, whatever it is. I, I think realistically, you know, for for him, unless there's there's some crazy off the wall you know situation that happens, you know, it's going to be in a in a in a stock car. Got it. Got it. But that but you still have some time to kind of sort all that
1: through. Yeah. And
2: you know, obviously he's 10.
1: It's just what I find so fascinating is like in our world at 10 playing, you know, playing football, say, so just take my older sons playing football this year. He's 11. He's in fifth grade. Like the next decision is, do you make your middle school football team? And then after that, it's like, you go out for your high school football team. Like there is no real decision. There's no paths. There's no circuits. You just play football until, and then when you get to high school, obviously then the kids who are more advanced have opportunities to go to college and whatever that journey is. But there's not a ton of decision-making, that's you know, the,
0: that's the key though, you know, the, the more advanced, right? So, yeah. you know, that's, that's, what is he mentally ready for as far as competition? Yep. What can he comprehend as far as speed, uh, racetracks and different vehicles? You know, w- what is his maturity level? Because I think a lot of people lose sight of, you know, the honest opinion of the maturity level of your kid. And no doubt. That that is something that a lot of parents lose sight of is is saying, OK, my my son's just he's just not that mature. And, and I would tell you that, that Keelan's kind of he's on that fence of saying, OK, is, should he go to be racing in the in the older division or should he be in the younger division? And really, we we thought finding more competition was better to keep him in the younger division because we didn't think he was mature enough to really understand what it was like to race against a thirteen or fourteen year old. Well,
1: no but doubt. But the sooner
0: you can, the sooner you can do that, the better. But man, you can you can just crush them if they're not mentally no mature enough to do what they're doing against the guys they're playing with. Yeah. I, I, we see it all the time. That
1: do you play with your age? Do you play up? I I, I get it. The the last thing before I let you go, and again, thank you, Kevin Harvick. Thank you so much for spending time. I find this entire world fascinating uh, just because it's so new to me. Talk a little bit about, I know you're very passionate about your foundation work back in Bakersfield, California, where you grew up your hometown and not all of your passions in the youth sports scene is in racing. So I want to just give you the opportunity because I find it a really cool story, what you told me before the show started about some of the work that you guys do and and a Mm -hmm. lot of the success your foundation is having.
0: Yeah, so the Kevin Harvick Foundation. um, Everything we do is for kids. Uh, We've found a lot of success through our foundation um, through sports because, especially at high school. Because if if they're in high school and they're playing sports, they got to have good grades. They got to show up to school. Um, You know, especially if they're showing up at school and 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 their sports activity around good coaches. um, You know, makes a huge impact on all these kids. So I got involved in my high school wrestling. I wrestled in high school uh, for, for all four years of, of high school. And that was, I still talk to my wrestling coach today. I had, I had great coaches, um, have talked to him, you know, through, through the years and uh, had a great experience. Probably the best thing that I've ever done in my life was, was wrestle those four years because I learned more about myself than probably anything else that I've ever done. But you know, I think um, for, for me, I got involved. I got a letter from the vice principal at North High School in Bakersfield in 2006. It sat in my mailbox, and I didn't, I didn't even know what it was. And and I finally opened it one day, and it was, "We need your help. Uh, they want to shut the wrestling program down. Would you be interested in donating $1,200?" And so uh, we we called the high school, and we're like, "1,200 dollars." She was like, "Yeah, they, you know, they're they're thinking about shutting the wrestling team down because they they can't afford to operate it." I was like, "Well, here we go." So. I went out and we had a fundraiser in the quad and we raised $80,000. And um, we put that into a trust for the wrestling team to be able to operate for how long. I don't even think we've spent all the money yet because now it functions well. But I think at that particular time, I don't think we could fill out a complete varsity and JV team. Uh, over the last couple of years, we've had over 100 kids try out for the program. Uh, we've spent two. Or, we sent two or three kids to college last year. They've been competing for um, valley and state championships, um, you know, throughout the year, but, you know, I, and I go out every once in a while and and spend some time with the coaches or go to the school and, and just kind of check in, um, because, you know, we still do a lot of stuff, um, you know, through the, through the, the wrestling club there in town to make sure that they have uniforms and shoes. And, and that was really something that we concentrated on because a lot of kids won't go out for sports because they can't afford to buy shoes. Uh, the golf programs that we do with PGA reach here and in, in North Carolina, um, you know, we, we've gone to the Charlotte Mecklenburg school district and, and basically any school who wanted it, um, you can have free clubs, free shoes, um, free uniforms. And we, we give the school all this to, to try to get the kids to come out for golf because golf is, it's, it's even more difficult than wrestling. We've had a huge impact on the, on the wrestling program at home and it it functions on its own and is competitive and lots of kids showing up a great environment. and, And so that that's been great. Uh, golf has been different just because of the fact that, you know, a lot of kids don't go play golf and a lot of schools don't have golf teams because they can't afford to buy the clubs and they can't afford to buy the shoes. So we try to, you know, put programs together that supply the equipment and, you know, the, the PGA reach does a good job in, in sending a local pro that is near the school to help the coaches uh, because a lot of the golf coaches don't know how to play golf. They're just filling the slot because right. there's nobody to fill the slot for for the golf coach. So they go and, and try to take these kids. So we, we try to give them you know, some some opportunity to, to have some coaching. Uh, we have a great program through uh, uh, the Charlotte Police Athletic League. I think we have uh, let's see, I think we have three or four AAU basketball teams fully funded. Uh, we have some great coaching that comes into the into the club to, to be able to give the kids who can't afford uh, the, the coaching uh, free coaching. Uh, you know the police officers are great and, and, and uh, you know do a lot of the coaching themselves and, and take the kids around. But the more we can do for I like doing doing stuff like that through sports through our foundation because it gives kids the opportunity that may not have the opportunity. Uh, otherwise. And it also gets them out of the bad environment that, that a lot of them had to have at home because they can come play sports. And then when they find a sport that they love, they come to school. And that's, those, those are the, those are the pieces that I like to tie together. So it's great seeing a lot of those sports programs, uh, come together and heck we've done everything. We, we built a $1.2 million field behind the boys and girls club here in, in Charlotte. Um, you know, they, they have a lot of great facilities that we, that we built around. So, we love doing stuff for kids and That's awesome. uh, programs and fields and, and whatever it is to, to give them a safe place to play.
1: Well, as a, as a lifelong supporter of the youth sports experience, obviously this has been in my blood since I was a kid. This is what I do now as a dad. Um, obviously we do this show. So, you, you know, it's pretty clear youth sports is super important. So as someone who's just a dad and a youth coach and whatnot, I commend you for that because the impact you guys are making and the impact that we all can make on kids through their youth sports experience, regardless of what it is, whether it's racing, whether it's football, whether it's basketball, whatever it is, wrestling, we can impact these kids' lives in just such incredible ways. Well, Kevin, I, I know you have a lot going on. I know you have a lot of places that you could be. So for you to take some time and share your story about your family and your upbringing and your experiences in the youth sports scene, with us here on you think is, uh, is greatly appreciated and best of luck to your kids. Best of luck to your son racing, best of luck to you. And uh, we'll be, we'll be following hopefully, uh, one day there's a multi-generational Harvick's uh, racing on the cup series.
0: Yeah, that would be great. I, I enjoy it. <laughs> and, and if there's ever anything that I can, that I can help with, um, I, I love the, the youth sports category. So just let me know.
1: You got it. You'll be, you're going to be on the top of my list of calls. So <laughs> be careful what you ask for. <laughs> Sounds good. Appreciate it. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with 2007 Daytona 500 winner, Kevin Harvick. Um, The the part I found so fascinating just now as a father raising kids in, in different sports here, you know, soccer and football and basketball and baseball to listen to Kevin talk about the journey that his son is currently on you know as an aspiring driver um you know not quite sure which circuit or which you know direction could go you know indie you could go open wheel you could go traditional stock car like we're like we're accustomed to seeing here in in the states but just to hear him tell the story of his son being overseas racing in some of the european circuits and just the experience and the you know the maturity that he's that he's grown and developed is is a really fascinating insight into a world that i don't know a ton about but it's obviously very popular here in the North Carolina area and, uh, kind of the home of NASCAR. So appreciate Kevin for coming on. I hope you guys enjoyed that and found it as fascinating as I did. And, uh, Kevin's a great dude. Like I said, he lives here in, in Charlotte, does a ton in the community, really interesting, successful guy in his own right. And now navigating it as a father, I can relate to a lot of the, uh, a lot of the stories and, and concerns that he told. So appreciate Kevin for joining us on, you think at this time, as you all know, we are going to bring in Tasha, Tasha. How was it? uh, Tasha Babers, obviously our producer. How was it having your dad, like going back now and listening to the last episode, like, I mean, having your dad on last week was cool, wasn't it? Seeing all the clips on social.
2: Yeah, it was fun. It was fun to like send to my family group text and then harass my family. What was your family
1: feedback? Like, what did everybody think?
2: They were just like, oh my goodness. Oh, Dino. You know, he's just, he's a character." So it's always interesting. He has he always been it. a character? He's always been a character. Yes. This, this has been interesting. Interesting. Um, yeah. It was so great got though. For us? So, yes, we have a really good questions. This one's kind of sad and interesting. Sarah from Instagram says, my son is being bullied on his football team and my heart breaks for him. So any advice on how to talk to the coaches about it without being a helicopter parent?
1: Yeah, this one's hard. I think, especially in today's day and age, um, you know, we're hazing and and really creating positive, you know, culture and environment and locker room is so critical at all ages. You know, whether it's at a young age in Pop Warner, all the way up through, you know, college. I mean, we talked to your dad about just how important culture is and, and guys buying in, feeling part of something it goes such a long way beyond just their their talent, is is feeling a part of the the greater the greater whole. So in in regards to this, I guess I have a few questions. I'd be curious to know how old the child is. If the child is young, middle school or down, you have to get involved, right? Especially if they're being bullied, if it's becoming dangerous, if it's becoming, you know, super negative, whether it's emotionally or physically, God forbid, like either way, I think as a parent, it, since it's, it seems to have been continuing for long enough that she submitted the question, I think you have to get involved. I think anytime you feel like your son or daughter is being treated poorly and it, and it could cause them either physical or emotional harm. There is a fine line between not wanting to be a helicopter parent. I get that. But when it comes to the safety and the wellness of your child, you have to get involved. A, if this is an older child, I'm, again, I'm speculating if there was steps taken that you know, your high school son or daughter in this case, son, you know, went and talked to his coach, tried to address it with the players and tried to advocate for themselves. And it's still not working. Yes, you still have to get. Even though you, you know, you want your child to fight for themselves, they're high school, they're older. You have to get involved. Anytime you're talking about the mental well-being, the physical well-being of your child, as much as you want them to advocate for themselves, you have to go speak to the coach. I would be surprised if the coach was aware of the bullying and decided not to stop it. If he was aware of it and has let it go on, then there's a whole other, you know, conversation to be had about you know what's going on at this program. But um, yeah, I I think the coach needs to be, needs to be addressed. I think you need to find time to go speak with him. Be honest, be up forward. Say, Hey, listen, I got my son. He tried to advocate for himself. He tried to address it. It's not working. It's almost making it worse. Your child should not have to fear being part of a team. That doesn't mean they don't have to earn their stripes. They don't have to be held accountable. Like all that stuff's going to happen, but it should not be to the point where it's considered bullying, where it's becoming harmful and uh, potentially dangerous.
2: Have you experienced that as a player or a coach on your teams? You know, when, when you know, growing up, when we were in
1: high school, you know, I remember being the freshman, sophomore, and there was like, and when I say hazing, it wasn't like some of these horror stories, you know, we'd have to carry the seniors shoulder pads, or we'd have to be in charge of cleaning up the field after practice. Like there was kind of a rite of passage between, you know, what lockers you were able to have in the locker room. Only the seniors could have the ones in the middle. So there was kind of like a rite of passage process of growing and earning your stripes and and coming up as a, as a younger player, whether it's in high school or in college. In college, they shaved our heads. I don't know if they do that anymore. Wait, All freshmen what? had to shave their heads. It's a great picture. You could probably find it on the <laughs> internet. Um, but no, I was never around a team that was like physically or emotionally like really harsh you know Mm. it was it was it was more tradition it was more earning your stripes and and kind of carrying your weight as a young player but it never it never turned over to being physically harmful or emotionally harmful no Mm.
2: yeah that's. I did not
1: look great with a bald head I have a big head didn't look great bald
2: I can't wait to see that Uh, our next question is from Nick from Charlotte. She said, "I saw that Ryan has his own pod, and they love that. How did you guys get the idea to get into the podcast world together?"
1: Yeah, so it's been cool. So, also under the Audio Rama that you guys hear us obviously mention a lot here, under the Audio Rama umbrella, we have a bunch of different projects that are either released or in the works. And and Ryan, who's a partner, and I, who's a partner with me and Vince um, and our team at Audio Rama, he partnered up with Audible. And during, and in conjunction with the Thursday night football package that Amazon, which is audible, um, they did a show called block forever. And Ryan goes around and, and it's centered from like the perspective of an offensive lineman, kind of the, the forgotten guys of the, of the team, but the most, probably the most critical component of a team. And um, he just interviews all sorts of, you know, players, coaches, past players, current, um, and just does it from a different perspective where we hear the voice and the stories of what it takes, um, you know, what the days were like as an offensive lineman in the NFL. And Ryan's got a really good way of storytelling and weaving it in to to the conversation. So it's gone really well. It was a huge project. One of our biggest things that we've so far launched uh, in the first year of Audiorama being in existence and um, to partner with a group like Audible for Ryan to to create and and present block forever was a really cool opportunity. So we have other projects coming down uh, the pipeline that we're really excited about. And uh, we're going to see what, what the future holds for audio Rama. But yeah, block forever um, was the next show after, after this one. So it's been, it's been a fun build.
2: Nice. And then our last audience question is bill from Instagram. He knows that your daughter plays soccer. Have you been watching the world cup And do you need a bar to watch it from? That's a great question. A bar to watch
1: it from sounds incredible. I don't know how many bars (laughs) I'm going to find myself in tonight. I am going to try to watch the game here this afternoon. Um, I watched the American game, you know, the U.S. game versus um, England on Friday. I think everybody watched that. I did not Mm -hmm. catch our first game against Wales. I was in and out of the house. I saw it was on and I I didn't watch it. Obviously, I know we tied. Um, I will watch today. The fact that it's winner go home makes it very exciting. Anytime America, whether it's a World Cup, male or female, whether it's the Olympics, I don't care if it's curling, basketball, like anytime the US has a US represented team, like I try to watch the sport. Whether I care or not about the sport, I just like supporting when our country goes out on the world on the international stage. So yeah, I'm rooting for obviously the US to win today. I almost feel like if we can't beat Iran in soccer. I'm not sure what we're doing. Like, I'm not sure what we're doing as a country, but we need to reevaluate our approach to international, you know, uh, events because I don't know a lot about soccer, but I feel like the United States should be able to beat Iran.
2: Yeah, we need more kids in development. Skip said that a couple weeks ago. I guess. It's just hard to believe
1: that the best 20 soccer players in Iran could potentially be better than the top 20 soccer players in America. I don't know. I don't know a lot about it, but that just seems hard to believe. So hopefully we come out and we beat them, we met and we advance to the round of 16 and advance out of pool play. Um but I heard that that's not like a guarantee. I guess Iran's pretty good, right?
2: I know. We need to watch. That's scary. U- USA. I get so psyched when I watch USA. I love watching. Well. Oh my,
1: I like the Women's World Cup better, I'm going to be honest. I Oh, he I, said it. I I like it better. <laughs> I The team competes like I think watching a team that, you know, could potentially win the whole thing is obviously exciting. I don't know if anyone Mm -hmm. imagines the US winning it. I support the boys. I want them to win. I want them to shit. I want them to win the whole thing so we got to beat iran that's the bottom line you got to yeah. beat iran got let's on fellas let's, let's go focus. fellas beat iran let's go yeah.
2: oh that's it for all, all the got. fan questions today and we'll see if the usa team advances you can keep submitting fan questions on tiktok instagram or twitter at you think or greg olson well
1: appreciate you guys uh thanks as always for the questions tasha thanks for mm-hmm. joining us and uh continue to rate review subscribe and we look forward to uh following up on a lot of things on the next episode here on you think we'll have a lot to report back on. So we'll see you guys next week.